started a few weeks ago, it's called United We Stand, talking about the idea of how we should work together and how we operate as a body. Come September, I'm going to jump back into our family series that took a hiatus for because of so many being on vacation. But let me get started this morning in Acts chapter 4 and remind you that for some of us, we didn't do so good when it came to punctuation and grammar. And some of us still struggle with where do you put the comma? Where do you put the apostrophe? And sometimes it can make a world of difference. For instance, if you have lots of periods, it slows down your reading of a sentence, such as this one. Admit it, this took you much longer to read than it should have just because the periods all of a sudden show up. Or punctuation can make a total difference. Let's eat, Grandpa, or take away the comma. Uh, Here we go, let's eat, Grandpa. Okay, he's for lunch. Or if you get this type of a setting, a professor at the college decided that he put this on the board and he said, I want you to punctuate it. Well, half the class punctuated it this way. Woman, without her man is nothing. Others punctuated it. Woman, without her man is nothing. Which one? It's totally different. Totally opposite. Here's a Dear John letter that it's the same words, two different ways, the punctuation makes all the difference. Dear John, I want a man who knows what love is all about. You are generous, kind, thoughtful. People who are not like you admit to being useless and inferior. You have ruined me for other men. I yearn for you. I have no feelings whatsoever when we're apart. I can be forever happy. Will you let me be yours? Signed, Jane. Or, let's change the punctuation. Dear John, I want a man who knows what love is all love is. All about you are generous, kind, thoughtful people who are not like you. Admit to being useless and inferior. You have ruined me. For other men I yearn. For you I have no feelings whatsoever. When we're apart, I can be forever happy. Will you let me be yours, Jane? <laughs> totally different. Same words, but all of a sudden it changes the meaning drastically. I have a title this message, Encourage Me. And it's probably being taken right now two different ways. And punctuation is all the difference. Some of you would be saying it kind of like this way. Yes, encourage me. I need this. You should do this for me. Others of you would be doing it this way. Encourage? Me? Am I supposed to be doing it? That's where I want to go this morning. The Bible would say that you can and should be encouraging others. Not seeking for it, but giving it out. You should be an individual who when people look to you, they get around you, they are encouraged. You know in the Bible, the Bible gives us a story about a man who was absolutely known as Mr. Encouragement. His story starts in Acts chapter 4. He's an individual who is a very unique individual. His real name is Joseph. He's mentioned 30 times in the Bible, 25 in the book of Acts, 5 times in the epistles. You all know about him. As soon as I say his nickname, you'll say, oh yeah, I know that guy. He comes from the island of Cyprus. He is Jewish by background. He is a Levite. But his story is repeated and given in multiple passages for a couple good reasons. I think number one, to show us that when in the New Testament peoples came to know Christ, all the Jewish priests, they were not anti the gospel. They were not anti-Christian. A good number of them responded to the gospel and got born again. I think his story is also given to help us to understand what important role he played in the church. How he as an individual really had impacted the church. Without this Mr. Encouragement, boy, Christianity would have a real, real, real different story all about it. But I think his story is given for a third reason. To provide encouragement to provide an example, to provide a challenge to you and me to say this is the type of person we should strive to be when we get together at Sunday mornings at 10.30. That you and I should be the type of individual that we want to become a Miss, Mr., a Mrs. Encouragement. 
somebody that others are encouraged by, some who are picked up and who are built by. We're talking about Barnabas. We're talking about a man whose nickname was absolutely known as Mr. Encouragement, the son of encouragement. The individual that we're talking about, you have to understand Jewish writings, the reason they gave him this name, that Bar means son. And frequently they would give titles, they'd give names to individuals because of a character trait. And so son of, and we have that idea Abbas of encouragement, they did this at times, the sons of Belial. They would call him that because they acted evil. Well, this man was so much of an encourager that this was his attitude. This was what he personified. How did he do that? If you and I are to be an encouragement the way he was, the question that we have to ask is how? If we're going to be the individual who wouldn't wait for others to encourage us, but do the biblical idea of being an encouragement, how do we go about doing that? What is that involved? Looking at his life very briefly this morning, Let's notice something that he did that you can do likewise to become a person of encouragement. What we're going to highlight is this. Number one, he reached out to a number of people. He reached out to a number of people. We start reading his story in Acts chapter 4 where it's the first time we read about him. And it talks about how he reached out. I want you to catch the setting, verse 32. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that out of the things which they possessed was their own. But they had all things common. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any of them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the prices of these things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as his need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was now nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of consolation or encouragement, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's the first time we hear about this guy. How he reached out to those people who had needs. Those who didn't have the wealth that he had. Those who didn't have the physical abilities that he had. Those who struggled. Those who because of persecution, because of family conflicts, because of their faith. He is one of those few that he sought to help out others. By giving to them. By being charitable. By selling his own possessions. What's really interesting, we don't understand fully, Levites didn't typically own land. That wasn't property that they held within the boundaries of Jerusalem or in Judea. Are they talking about lands that were in Cyprus that his family had inherited and passed on outside of the country of Israel? Which, by the way, historically, there were a number of Levites who did have land outside of Palestine region. And so it may have been by the New Testament era that that was a common practice. Levites didn't own land here, but they had foreign foreign lands for them to be taken care of for their properties. Either way, he sold it. He gave up his family's property so that he could give to other people. He sacrificed. He cared about other individuals who then when he gave it, he left it up to the distribution of the apostles to help out the individuals to give to whoever had need. He didn't need recognition. He didn't need to have public applause. He just quietly, like many of the others, except for Ananias and Sapphira, he gave the gifts, walked away and said, you just use it. Give it to people who have special needs. You and I can come to a point of of realization here. One of the ways we can encourage other people is to help those out with needs. 
Help out individuals who, who may not have it as nice as we do. Individuals who may not have the abilities that we have. Individuals who are struggling to just put food on the table. Individuals who are struggling to pay their bills. And many of you do that. Many of you, you give in a sacrificial way on a regular basis so that we as a church can distribute. Some of you gave here just recently to a gal who is in Portugal that you have never met. Christiana is the gal that we mentioned to you several months ago. She's an individual that last year when those who went to camp, like some are going this week to work in that Portuguese camp, Christiana was one of those Portuguese young people who came. She doesn't come from a Christian home. Her grandmother is devout in her religion and she is not in favor, wasn't in favor of Christiana going to a Bible-believing church. But she agreed. Christiana's parents are out of the picture. Her father deserted when she was a baby because of her, uh, her illness and is it cerebral palsy that she was born with. Her mother and father gave her up and grandma took the child and from a babe raised her. Her grandmother is elderly and can't do everything but her grandmother did acquiesce and let her go to this Bible-believing church. She heard the gospel. She got born again. But she had physical issues. Last year at the camp some of you who had gone there had been there and Sandy Geisinger was one of those who was, went as the nurse from our church to help out that camp. And dealing with her realized this girl has some real issues. Instead of a real wheelchair, she's basically using one of those, was using one of those things that's kind of like using the airport for transport. And she has so many medical problems that what was happening that her rib cage was being compressed to the point that it was starting to protrude and her organs were starting to all of a sudden collapse and be compressed. She needed some help. There was nobody there in the region that was going to be able to give help. And so some came back. Sandy spearheaded an effort in our church saying, can we do something? Can we as a church try to provide the funds to get her the medical uh, uh, chair that she needs? You raised the funds. They had somebody come in and they sized her up. They found out exactly what she needs. And so it was just this week that the wheelchair was delivered to her. This girl is elated. She is off the charts. She didn't know it was coming. And all of a sudden she has this chair where she has mobility. On Tuesday when the chair came, she said something that she has never said in her 25, 27 years, whatever it be. She said, Grandma, I'm going outside by myself. I'm going to go across the street. I'll come back when I feel like it. In all of her years, she's never been able to go out by herself. You and I take that for granted, don't we? Your charity has provided such encouragement for somebody there. By the way, let me expand upon it. Your charity in helping her out has impacted her grandmother. Her grandmother is going to church regularly now. Her grandmother is now starting to ask questions about what's this Christianity all about. Her church family are over the moon delighted that somebody across the ocean, some group of people would take an interest in helping out this girl that they couldn't help out. Encouragement, it's off the charts. Is she the only story? No, there's others. There's others that you and I should be looking to, reaching out to, trying to assist, trying to help. There are some of our missionaries working with orphans. There are some who are working with widows like we have widows and trying to reach out. The point is, encouragement comes by trying to reach out and do for others. Encouragement might behoove us to say to our kids at times, 
We don't need the pizza. We don't need the extra dig, you know, thingamajigs and doodads on the computer or on the cell phone. Maybe we could take that, and for this year, we could take some of that monies, and we can do some charitable work for some people in need. That's encouragement. Encouragement is reaching out. It is not only reaching out to those in need, but encouragement is reaching out to those who are seeking. Those who are seeking. Acts chapter 9. Jump with there to this passage. Acts 9. Let me set up the setting. In Acts chapter 9 we have the story where Barnabas comes into the picture but only after this happens. Acts chapter 9 starts off at what's happening in Jerusalem and the region roundabout. there's huge persecution. The persecution is against the believers. They cannot do what you and I are doing this morning. They could not meet in safety. They had to go underground. Especially around Jerusalem because there was one man. He was the leader of the Jews who were persecuting. His name is Saul. And he gets not only the persecution and in intensity in Jerusalem where they start killing people like Stephen and others and so that many of the Christians had to flee from Jerusalem. These Christians when they fled from Jerusalem from Saul's persecution they started to go to other regions. Well some of them went to the region of Damascus, another city, main city north of Jerusalem. Paul, Saul, heard that the Christians were there. He got letters from the Jewish Sanhedrin saying he could go there and arrest people and pursue persecuting them. And so he gets there and he's on, or he's on his way there to do the persecution when all of a sudden you all who are born again any length of time you heard about this. That he's traveling with his comrades and there's a bright light. And the passage says at noon that the sun was, was so bright, but then this bright light from heaven outshined this, outshone the sun and he collapses because of fear, because he's knocked down by this brightness. It's the Lord. It's Jesus Christ from heaven, from the throne of heaven speaking to him and saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Persecuting me by persecuting my kids. Why are you attacking me? And Paul responds and he says, basically, you know, you know, what am I, you know, what do I to do? And he says, it's hard for you to kick against the conviction. While he is doing this persecution, he's being convicted by the Spirit of God, saying, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. And his response to being challenged by the Spirit of God is to become more angry, more angry, more angry. But Jesus knocks him flat physically, speaks to him, and Saul says, what do you want me to do? It is his moment of coming to Christ and being converted and asking Christ to become his Savior, asking for forgiveness of sins and saying, even though I'm a religionist, even though I'm doing all these things out of zeal for God, I am not worthy to get into heaven by myself. I need a Savior. You're the Savior. I've heard about you. I've been resisting you. But now I want you to become my Savior. Jesus speaks to him and tells him he needs to go into the city and there he'll get direction. The man stands up but he's blind. He can't see because of the bright light. So his guides, his friends, take him into the city. He gets connected with a prophet, a preacher, who comes to him and says, you know, Saul, you've, been, you've now been born again. You just accepted Christ. And God has a plan for you. He's going to let you be a real witness. God has, he wants you to be a, a challenge to the Gentiles. And Agabus lays his hands upon Paul, and Paul, Saul at this time is his name, lays his hands upon Saul, and Saul's sight comes back. The first thing he says he does is he follows in believer's baptism because he knew that baptism away is con- confessing Christ. And it was so important. So he gets baptized. Then for the next three years, he stays in Damascus. 
The passage doesn't give us the whole details of all the time, but if you read the text, he stays in Damascus and he starts growing and growing. And it says he confounds the Jews with his arguments proving Jesus is the Messiah. Those Jews in Damascus, they're getting, some of them are getting saved, some of the Gentiles are getting saved, and they get mad. We got to get rid of this guy. This guy who was a persecutor now is the biggest preacher in town. We got to get rid of him. And they, bl- they bind together to kill him. God's Spirit directs Paul to Saul to get out of the town. He has the believers lower him over the side of the wall in a basket to escape Damascus and to escape the, the assassination that's on his life. Saul leaves Damascus and now he heads to Jerusalem where he's used to be for three years, for, uh, used to be until the past three years. Back, back in Jerusalem, they've not heard about this guy for a while, or if they've heard about him, they're hearing stories that he's yoked up with the believers. He was our, he was our you know, guy that we sent out to kill the Christians. Now he's one of them. And he comes back to Jerusalem, but there's a problem. The passage says that the believers in Jerusalem they don't want anything to do with them. Look at verse 26. When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, he tried, he went out of his way to join himself to the disciples, but they were afraid of him. They didn't believe he was the disciple. They thought this, this was three years had gone by and he's a huckster, he's a trickster, he's trying to infiltrate our group, he's going to be of the fifth columnist. We got to kill him, we got to get rid of him, we, we don't want nothing to do with him. And nobody in the church wants to reach out to him. Though they hear or have heard what's gone on, though they know it's three years have passed and there's been no persecution. They just are leery of, of this man. But then we read the next verse. The next verse says Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas is the one, it's not the church leaders, it's Barnabas that reaches out to this one who is trying to seek to yoke himself up with other believers, who is seeking to learn about Jesus Christ, who is trying to assay himself. The word is the idea. He, really, he went out of his way to try to find out where they're meeting, get together with him. He comes to their service, but nobody wants to talk to him. Nobody reaches out to him except for Barnabas. Barnabas doesn't wait for the church leaders to do it. Barnabas does it himself. He reaches out to this unlikely fella brings him to the apostles, introduces him, and the relationship starts. If Barnabas hadn't reached out, if Paul wasn't brought into the assembly, how much different would the New Testament have become? What would have happened if somebody didn't reach out to this one that nobody knew what it was going to be like, but they knew his past? They knew that in his past it was shady. They knew he had killed people. They knew that he was, he was a persecutor. But Barnabas is reaching out because he is somebody who is seeking to learn the Word of God. He is an individual who wants to know. Let me throw it this way. How would you respond to this woman who came to one of our missionaries lately? He was preaching in a church, and not in the one that he was starting, but he was a visiting preacher. This church has a ministry that is in the inner city of a major city in America. And in that inner city missions, they reach out to a number of individuals who are derelicts. Some are alcoholics, some are drug addicts, some are just living on the street. And so they have this ministry, and there's an element within the church that aren't lovely looking. They come off the street, or they come into the church building for Saturday night for a meal and for a service, and then they sleep there. But this group is reaching out, and Sunday morning, our missionary was there preaching. He says, when he was all done, this woman came up, and it was obvious that she is one of the 
alcoholics or one of the drug addicts. And she came up and she made this comment to him. She says, that was really a good sermon. I prayed to God last night that he wouldn't let me have a hangover this morning so I could really pay good attention. My first response was, you shouldn't have a hangover. You shouldn't be drinking. But listen, this woman wants to hear the Word of God. Would you have rebuked her? Would you have said, well, listen, lady. Or would you have paused for a moment and says, thank God she came in and she was able to listen to the Word of God and let the Word of God do a work. I fear that at times within our walls, there may be an attitude, whether it be from me or from you, that some people aren't welcomed because they smell. They look different. They do their hair different. They don't have a tuft, which I don't understand. Okay. They, are, they, are, they're, they don't have the same teen friends that you have. And they're unaccepted. They're not, they're not welcomed. It happens at youth activities. It happens at fellowships. It happens at services. But if we're going to become like a Barnabas in genuineness, why don't we reach out to those who may not dress the way we think they should dress? That they don't, they don't look. Their hair isn't the same. Or they don't place the jewelry at the same spots you and I would place the jewelry. And we would say, if they're seeking to learn the Word of God, we will reach out. We will accept. We will welcome them. Barnabas is one who not only reached out to those who were needy, to those who were seeking, he reached out to those who were new to the faith. We read in Acts chapter 11, his story continues, that all of a sudden he gets involved in reaching out to other people. It worked with the Apostle Paul. He got Paul united with the church, and Paul, by the way, stays in Jerusalem a short period of time, then he goes away back to his hometown of Tarsus for 10 years. In the meantime, Barnabas is involved in the church of Jerusalem. He's working there. But some of the believers have left Jerusalem because of the persecution, and some of them have gone to Antioch. This is the one of the 21 Antioch in the Roman Empire, one of them that is the third largest city. It is huge. There's an element of a lot of Gentiles there. Some of the Gentiles from this island of Cyprus, Barnabas' hometown, and some of the other regions have gone there. And we read the story. It says in verse 19 of chapter 11, Now they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that had arisen, some traveled to Phoenix of Phoenicia, actually, in Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, they spoke to the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which is in Jerusalem, and they sent Mr. Encouragement. Why did they send him? Well, it was people's probably he knew from his home island of Cyprus that had gone there to preach the gospel. So maybe he had those connections. But he goes there and it says that he should go as far as Antioch, who in verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them, all of them, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. So here we have this fellow who gets there and he gets involved with trying to encourage the new believers and teaching them the Word of God. He also tries to reach out to those who are lost. We read as the passage continues. It says that he tells them to cleave unto the Word of the Lord. He's a good man, full of the Spirit, full of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. 
So in his ministry there, he's encouraging the baby Christians, teaching them, strengthening them. He is also in the meantime sharing the gospel, trying to get the gospel out to others in that town. Even though they have already seen a great number get saved, he's not content. He wants to see more people get saved. He wants to actually get involved in seeing others discipled for Jesus Christ. He's giving out the word. It's not about what do we have for fun It's about what can we do even in our fun time to try to reach out and give out the gospel. I fear that sometimes we as believers, we think church is all about entertain me, do for me, do for me, but the Word of God says that we're supposed to reach out and try to share the gospel with other people. Why do we do all of this to share the gospel? to try to reach out into other families and other homes. Why do so many of you get involved with the Bible school? Not so that you lose your hearing during the week, even though that's a real good possibility. It's to reach out, share the gospel. What a way of encouraging individuals to give out the gospel. Aren't you? Aren't you grateful for the people who reached out to you with the gospel? Don't you find that encouraging? Yesterday I had an opportunity to talk with a family that had sent their children here to our Bible school. And in that conversation, it was very interesting. The conversation went like something like this, is they wanted to know if we were having Bible school yesterday. And do we have it again Sunday and Monday and Tuesday? The kids loved it so much, and the parents, who had never gone to a church before, said our kids loved it. They want to see if they can come back, and they would like to come back with them. So we had this opportunity to talk at length and invite them for this evening, and Lord willing, they'll come this evening, but the, the mom made a comment to me that was absolutely amazing. She said, I have a question about this white card that was in the kid's paper. This white card talked about asking Christ to be your Savior. It had the gospel verses. And apparently this child had, I would assume they had the white card, they may have made a profession of faith. When I talked to the child, they didn't remember who it was that talked with them, but they said they prayed. When I asked question, it sounded like they prayed right during the chapel or right at the end of the chapel time that Pastor Tony was doing. And the child had gone home and had shared with mom that they now are on their way to heaven. The mom's comment to me was, I never knew that we could know we're on our way to heaven. I never knew that church has said that. The church I grew up said you have to obey us in order to maybe get to heaven. And for the first time, this mom is saying, can you show me from the Bible how I can know we're going to heaven? Sure we can. Sure we can. Can we do it right now? It didn't work to do it right then because of circumstances in their family. But they're planning to come tonight. And she made this comment when we ended up and made arrangements to see it tonight. Her comment was, I am so thankful then it's encouraging my heart that somebody is concerned about my child's eternal destiny. She says, I am so thankful that there are people in a church that want to share the gospel and to help people to understand how to go to heaven. It made her day, I got to tell you this much, I don't think it made her day as much as it made my day because aren't there moments when after you can't hear because of all the kids and all the busyness that you say, I'm so glad it's done but it's not done. The important part is people hear the gospel. Encouraging people, get out the gospel. Don't keep it to yourself. Encouragement teen, share the gospel. I was telling my Sunday school class that there was a 15-year-old that the parent talked to me this week when I went into a business, and the 15-year-old wants to come to the Bible school. You know there's other teens that want to be where you have, 
with some of the ministry opportunities you have, share the word. There's another way that you and I should reach out, and that is reach out to those who are struggling. Let me tell you the story here. Paul, and Bar Paul, by this time, has really grown in the faith. Barnabas wants to help him out, so Barnabas gets him to work with him. And we jump to Acts chapter 15, or Acts chapter 15, and what happens is they go on a missions journey. Now we're several years down the road. And it says that they're headed out on the missionary journey. And when they leave from the church of Antioch, they take with them, it says in verse 5, they take with them John Mark, who happens to be Barnabas's nephew. They take him to be their minister. He's going to take care of the food stuff. He's going to take care of the clothing. He's going to pack the luggage. He's going to do stuff while they are preaching. He's probably going to do the props behind the scene. He's probably going to be the game coordinator. He's going to be the cookie person. He's going to be the individual who isn't doing the actual preaching but helping out by, you know, watching the nursery or, you know, doing some other odds and ends activities. He's there. He's traveling with them. For some reason, whatever, we, we don't know why, he decides that what he's going to do, by the way, I have, uh, I have the, the, it starts in 13 and then jumps to 15, chapter 15. In chapter 13 where it starts that Barnabas is, I'm sorry, um, John Mark is with them at first and then he decides he's going back. We don't know why he's going back. We don't know if he got flu, dysentery, homesick. We don't know if there was a girlfriend back there. We don't know if he lost cell signal and he couldn't live without it. I don't know. Okay. We have no idea what the reason is. But he goes back. Now in Acts chapter 15, they're ready to do a second missions journey. And in Acts chapter 15, that's where we read what happens is Barnabas and Paul, they are talking. Let's go. Let's do a second journey. The first one was so good. But it talks about what happens is, it says down in verse 36, Paul and Barnabas said, let's go again, visit the brethren in every city where we preached before. Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Paul thought it not good to take him. He had departed from them in Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. That's in chapter 13. And the contention was so sharp between them, they departed. They went different directions. Barnabas took Mark, sailed to Cyprus, Paul took Silas, <coughs> and departed being recommended. And that's all we hear. We, by the way, Barnabas, for the most part, disappears out of the book of Acts. And we only read about John Mark later on, but we know they traveled together. Paul later on talks about John Mark years later and says, bring Mark with you. He's profitable for me. So John Mark is recovered. He is not cast aside because of Barnabas, and later on he matures. He becomes to a point where John, Paul says he really is a valuable asset. Here's my, here's my point. Barnabas didn't give up on John Mark. Paul would have. Paul, for whatever reason, said he's not, he's not, you know, he's not one we should have with us. And reasons may have been good at the moment. But Barnabas reached out. Barnabas reached out, and he recovered the guy. He salvaged John Mark. Who have you reached out to salvage lately? Some of you say to me, well, I haven't seen so-and-so. I haven't seen so-and-so. Where's so-and-so? What have you done to reach out? How have you gone out of your way to try to assist some people who struggle for whatever their reasons? What do you do when those teens who used to come don't come? Have you extended yourself? Are you an encouragement that reaches out to others? that tries to befriend others. Now, I'm not saying, don't, don't misunderstand this, I'm not saying Barnabas was perfect. Barnabas had his moments. I'm not asking you to be perfect because you and I will have our moments. You see, there's a story told in Galatians chapter 2 how Barnabas 
in his struggles or in his encouragement, he struggled at one moment. The story is told in Galatians 2 that they are working together in Antioch. He is reaching out to the Gentiles. We read about it in Acts 11. He's there and he's been seeing a great number saved and the ministry is going well. They're reaching out to other people and more people are coming in. But then all of a sudden what happens is the Apostle Peter shows up. The Apostle Peter is there with Barnabas and they're having great fellowship with the Gentiles. In fact, they're sitting at a meal, it says, and they're at a table with all these Gentiles. And then in comes a group of Jews, Jewish believers who don't think Gentiles and Jews should sit at the same table because they're prejudiced. Peter and Barnabas are sitting here, but when they see they're Jewish friends and they get the hairy eyeball, the evil eye, that sidewards glance. They get up and they move away from the Gentiles. They fall victim to their old prejudice. Where Paul has to write in this story, Paul writes and he says that I went to them and I confronted them face to face for their old prejudice. Barnabas slipped. He's an imperfect person. What we do have from his account is even though he struggled at moments, overall, Mr. Encouragement. In Acts chapter 4, he encouraged the individuals who were struggling, who needed some help. Acts 11, years later, he does the same thing. Look what happens in Acts 11. The church of Jerusalem is battling, it is struggling, and it is suffering because we read in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, there's a prophecy that Jerusalem is going to get hit with a famine. And the believers down there, they don't have food. Well, Barnabas had sold his property years before to help out the needy. What does he do in Acts chapter 11? In Acts 11, he, there he goes on, it says, the disciples, verse 29, every man with their ability, the peoples up in Antioch, determined to send relief unto the brethren in Judea, which also they did, and they sent it by two, Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul spearheaded this effort of let's continue to help out. They didn't just do it once. They just didn't do it at, at the onset. They had this as a pattern in their life. Paul writes in Galatians 2 when he's talking about he and Barnabas, it was our intention and our effort to remember the poor. It was their characteristic trait. Imperfect, fell to prejudice at one moment, but overall charitable, reaching out, reaching out, reaching out to see the peoples, the Gentiles saved in the city of Antioch. Then we read a little bit later in Acts 13 when God says, separate me Barnabas and Saul to go to the work of the ministry. He sure does. He goes out and starts spreading the gospel through all of Galatia, wanting to see people saved, wanting to see more saved. Listen, it is great that we see some kids get saved in Bible school. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. The parents are thrilled. They're excited. But that isn't all. We have neighborhood night. We have calling and outreach coming up. We have the, the ministries that we have for reach starting here in that September, October, where it's let's reach out. We have opportunities for the young adults to reach out, to try to win other young adults, families to try to win other families, and not to become content, but to reach out to other people, become a person of encouragement by reaching out to the needy, to those who are seeking, to those who are new to the faith, to those who are lost, to those who are struggling. Reach out. Make it a characteristic of your life. And please don't do this. Please don't stand before the Lord and say, well, I used to do that years ago. I used to be an encouragement years ago. God is not talking and asking you to used to be 
a teacher, to used to be a witness, to used to be reaching out to others. We're talking about right now, what are you doing for Christ? Right now, what are you serving? What are you doing to win others? What are you doing to befriend others? What are you doing to reaching out? Don't live in the past. Live in the presence of serving Jesus Christ. Reach out to a number of folk. Something else you should do if you're a Barnabas and you're Mr. Encouragement is that is recruit others to serve. Recruit others to serve. Watch the story in Acts chapter 11 as we wind these things down. Look what happens. He's in that church of Antioch. He's gone there. He's being sent by the church of Jerusalem to check out what's going on in Antioch. When he gets there, the church is growing. In fact, he goes then because there's too many people getting saved. It says that the people are cleaving to the Lord. It says, verse 24, he's a good man, full of the Holy Ghost. Much people are added. Then it says in verse 25, he departed Barnabas for to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. I want you to something. Barnabas knows that he can't do all the work himself. He knows he needs others. I flipped through the slide. Your heads were down. D.L. Moody used to have a policy. When people come to the church, when they get saved, they got to get involved some way. Do something that they're contributing. Rather than one person doing it all, let's get ten to do it. That was his practice of getting believers involved. Barnabas had that same philosophy. Where Barnabas goes and he says, I can't do everything here. There's too many people that need Bible studies. I need help. So he goes and gets Paul. He knows about Paul. He introduced him to the apostles several years before, 10 years before. He knows that Paul is qualified. He knows that God had said, you're going to be a witness to the Gentiles. He knows how he confounded the Jews in Damascus. So he gets him, brings him up to to Antioch and says, please help. Now when he went to find him, he realized that Paul would be good for the church and this ministry would be good for Paul. When it says in this text, catch the words, when it says that he departed to, Saul, to seek Saul and when he had found him, he brought him, the verbs there indicate he worked hard to find Paul. It just didn't happen right away. He was intentionally seeking this person to get him involved. He made personal effort, great effort. And then when he brings Paul up, he relinquishes some of his ministry to Paul so Paul can get involved. In fact, the text goes on. Here's the way it's stated through the book of Acts. Sometimes Barnabas and Saul, then Saul and Barnabas, then just once or twice more Barnabas and Saul, and then Paul and Barnabas to the point that Paul becomes the main character. And Barnabas isn't jealous. Barnabas isn't envious that it's my class and I'm the only one who can teach the class right. Barnabas isn't the one that says, this is my Bible study, this is my fellowship, this is my group and we're the only ones. Barnabas is that type that would reach out today and say, hey, I want to encourage others to do some service, whatever the service would be. And I'm going to applaud their service and I'm going to recruit and I want others to get involved. He would trust others if he were here today. He would encourage others. And the others would respond to a Barnabas because he would take them by the hand and say, come and work with me. When's the last time? You invited another Christian, a baby Christian, to go and pray with you. When's the last time you said, hey, why don't the two of us do a Bible study together to reach our neighbors? When's the last time you, who have been saved 25, 30 years, that you said to somebody, let's go out and we'll go calling together? When's the last time you tried to get somebody involved in ministry? 
In ministry, that is giving out the gospel and sharing it. When's the last time you encouraged somebody as opposed to discouraging them by finding fault and failures in other believers? Barnabas is an individual who got involved, who reached out. He was one who recruited others. He is one that if we read it right in Acts chapter 11, he rejoiced to see what God was doing. He wasn't upset. He wasn't negative. He was thrilled. We read in Acts chapter 11, when he came, verse 23, and saw the grace of God, he is glad. He is ecstatic. He's excited over the the work of God, how God is all of a sudden They're doing wonderful work amongst the Gentiles. This was unknowns to the people at that time. Gentiles weren't getting saved, but now they are. He is excited to see that others are being blessed of God. He's excited to see that God's grace is pouring out on other people, that other people are getting answers to prayer. He's the type of individual that would be glad to see God bless other people today. The one who would get excited about souls saved, even if he wasn't the one who led them to the Lord. The one who would be excited about other people getting answers to prayer. The one who would pause and stop and listen to somebody share their blessings without in the back of their mind thinking about how you can outdo the blessings. The one who would take the time to encourage, to pause, to talk about the Lord. Are you a Barnabas in that regard? Man, we need Barnabases. This church is desperately in need, every church is, to have individuals who would seek to be an encouragement to one another, to try to build up, encouraging those who labor, encouraging those who pray, encouraging those who are going through trials. Will you be that type of person? Will you say, that's what I'm going to assume, a role of being an encouragement to others? We have this... um, we have this thing that I grew up, and I've shared this before. Some of the games we would play when we were parenting our kids growing up, one of the games we would play around the table is called the compliment game. And so we would have the kids, you know, take turns and assign, you have to compliment one of the other kids. Our goal was not only to just have fun, okay, that was the secondary goal, because they would come up with the weirdest stuff. You know, ah, oh, you've got, so, you know, you, you, you can get angry so well. You know, you can be so selfish with your toys. Okay, and they would do their backhanded comments. So part of the thing was to get our kids to think positive about others, not first of all critical. So learn about positive complimenting. And so we did, in fact, in Portugal, we were talking with some of the, those in our Portugal trip, and it was suggested by a couple of the young people on the trip, let's do the compliment game. And so one evening we did at a restaurant, we did the compliment game. It brought our host missionaries to tears. They were so encouraged by the compliments and the positive statements. We are now, since, um, as Pastor Tony puts it, while his house is under renovation, and he's living in the downstairs of the house we call the basement. He calls it the main floor, and we live in the attic on the main floor. <laughs> now that we're in the attic, and so we get a little bit more time with meals together with his kids, we've started the compliment game again. And so I've noticed something that happens in the compliment game based upon ages. When his three-year-old and six-year-old play the compliment game, or as she calls it, the compliment, let's, let's do compliments tonight. And here's the way she'll say it. Let's play compliments. You can all compliment me. <laughs> you can talk about my hair, my eyes. Play. <laughs> that is totally understandable from a three-and-a-half-year-old. That playing the compliment game, it isn't me doing for others, it's others doing for me. 
And it's understandable. It is not understandable for a church filled with people like this who are saved for a period of time, who claim to know the Word of God, to sit and say, encourage me. That's unacceptable. You're to be mature. You're to be the ones, many of you who have been saved, more than, more than a dozen years, a lot of you. You're not supposed to be saying, encourage me. You're to be mature enough to say, I will encourage others. I will make this my goal of being an encouragement to others and working that hard and laboring. Some of you teens who have been saved and grown up in a Christian home, it should be your mature desire at this point to say, I will extend myself to the other 7th, 8th, ninth graders who visit to come any of the teen times. I'm not going to stand back and wait for Pastor Art to come and run to me and compliment me. I'm going to reach out and compliment others. But it's the immature individual who says, it's about me. You, you owe it to me. We, if we're going to be mature, need to strive to rejoice over what God is doing in other people's lives and not begrudge them answers to prayer, not begrudge what God is, how he's using them as a witness. We should get excited. Excited enough that we pause, we listen, we think, and we thank. Excited enough that even if we weren't able to be a part of the Bible school, we prayed for it and we're thrilled with what God's doing. And we rejoice over those blessings. We should be people who are reaching out individuals who try to go out of their way to do the things that are needed to encourage other individuals, to send a note of admiration to an individual. I, I was thinking this week, who stands out in our church as an encourager? I'll tell you one that came to my mind immediately. Some of you don't know him, but some of you who know him, you're going you're gonna to agree with me. Pat Casey. Do you remember Pastor Pat? Mr. Encouragement. Mr. Encouragement. You couldn't get into conversation with him where he wouldn't find something positive to say about you. Hey, Wayne, your tufter is really standing up straight today. It looks really good. It's really curling cool. Every time, Pat was the, one of the most encouraging people you could get around, that he would just find anything. And I asked him one time, how do you do this? What, what do you do? He said, I purposely look for something with every conversation that I can say something positive. And he said that was totally contrary to his nature and what he grew up with, but he really prayed every day that he could do that. That's the type of individual you and I should strive to be. One who says thank you to others. That doesn't have to look for the thank you, but will extend themselves and actually will say thank you for taking my kids on missions trips. It's not that it's their job, but thank you. Thank you for watching the kids in the nursery. Thank you for teaching my kids. Thank you for doing something so simple as making sure we can hear in this auditorium. Thank you for running these slides. Thank you. Thank you for cleaning this room. By the way, you better thank those people big time after what Friday was done. Some of you would not be getting up. You'd be sticking to that pew for the rest of the week. Thank you. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for doing the music. Thank you for, for sh whatever ministry. Sharing a meal. Sharing your goods with somebody. 
showing an interest. Maybe I should put it this way, spending a minute. Reaching out to somebody that says more than, okay, we're here, let's get out of here. It's hot, I want to get to the pool. It's hot. Right now it feels really cold in this room. But it's hot. Do you, do you, can you spare five minutes to visit with somebody? To show an interest in, an, in somebody who you've never met before? Is your schedule that great that you don't have to reach out to some people you don't know just because spending time by visiting a widow, a widower, going to a rest home, our schedules are that occupied, we're that loaded that we can't put down the cell phone or the games to put down the TV remote and go and visit for a half hour to somebody who needs encouragement. Showing and reaching out. Sharing with somebody that you prayed for them. That you remembered them. What an encouragement when somebody comes up and says, by the way, I've been praying for this job situation you had. I've been praying for this work situation, this, this you know, family situation. How's it going? And you think, they did. They really prayed for me. Recruiting others, man, you know, that's, that's a way of encouraging. Asking somebody to join you in prayer. Teaming up with a Bible study. Recruiting somebody to help you, to work with you, to do those things. That's encouragement. That's what we're called to do. That's what Christ expects. What is he being given out of your life this day, this week? What will you do? Encourage me. Me, I'll encourage. Which one are you going to do? Father, I pray that you would help us to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. To go out of our way to practice what the Bible in, in tells us to do and to try to reach out. Try to befriend. Try to share. Try to just show that we have the joy of Christ. Help us to honor you by our attitudes by our actions.